It is Wednesday. How many of you are anticipating Friday already? Can't wait. All right. Good. Well, I've got bad news for you. It's only Wednesday night, so you got. Um, my grandfather's about the same, so if you keep praying for him, he is um, they're not really expecting him to do much better. He had a lot of damage to his heart, so appreciate your prayers on that. Proverbs chapter number 29, Proverbs chapter 29, good to see you tonight. We had a good crowd, a really good crowd out for a one o'clock service, and so I know a lot of people are back in from vacations and... Um, spending time away. Tonight's a big night for our kids. And um, then Awana's starting up. So I hope that you'll be back having your kids registered in a good year for Awana, a good start to school. It's quiet in here. Everybody okay? Okay. It's cold in here too, huh? I'm going to speak to you tonight. We're going to look at a verse in Proverbs chapter 29 and um, really stay here on this verse as we look at some other thoughts. And if, if you have a um, paper and pen, I do want you to, to write some things down. You can start with that. Just take a piece of paper if you have it and just draw a line down the middle of it. On one side, on one side you're going to write this. You're going to write a, a man of vision. And on the other side of that line, you're going to write this, a, a man of ambition. A man of vision versus a man of ambition. Now, if you think about the word ambition, you don't think that's really a bad word. We want to have ambition. But tonight I'm going to look at the difference between a man of vision and a man of ambition. And I hope that we'll be able to through this study, figure out where we're at and how we're doing in this area. Proverbs 29, verse number 18 says this, where there is no vision, what happens? People perish. Where there is no vision, the people perish, but he that keepeth the law, happy is he. So where there's no vision, the people perish. But he that keepeth the law, happy is he. There are so many in the world today that are trying to find happiness, joy, something that they can hold on to only to find that it's not fulfilling and they just keep chasing something else. I want to ask you to raise your hand if that's you or if you know someone like that. But the reality is it's probably all of us at some point we probably know someone that it seems like no matter what they chase, they're chasing their ambitions, they're chasing their dreams, only to get close to what they think they wanted, only to find it doesn't satisfy. And so many people, maybe as Christians, we think that you know, serving the Lord, how much fun can it be? There's all these rules and all these, the law and the Bible, and you, you can't do all the things that you know, are fun. And, but the Bible says here, he that keepeth the law, Happy is he. Happy is he. But where there is no vision, there vision. What is vision? What, what is this? This is not somebody saying, 
I have a plan for my life. Who knows what this word vision, the, the, the meaning of this word here in the word of God, what's this word mean? Anybody know? The word of God. Spiritual discernment. It's the word of God. It, it's, that's exactly what this is. Where, where there is no word, where the word of God doesn't exist, where the gospel doesn't exist, the people perish. Now that word perish means more than just dying. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not what? Perish. Every single one of us are going to die. But if you die without Jesus Christ, you perish. The opposite of everlasting life is perishing. Right? Everlasting life is we're going to die here on this earth, but our soul is going to live for all of eternity. If you die without Christ, you will spend eternity in hell. You'll spend eternity apart from God. Luke chapter 16, in, uh, I won't turn there, but if you just mark it down in your notes, you can go back there and you can study that. You find a picture, you find a story where, where we see a glimpse of hell. Matter, matter of fact, let's turn now. I, w- I, wanna, I want you to see this. Luke chapter 16. In verse number uh, 19, we start reading of this uh, uh, story of this rich man and this beggar. In verse number 22, and it came to pass that the beggar died and was carried by angels into Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried. And in hell he lift up his eyes, being what? In torments, seeing Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. He's in torments. Have mercy on me. And, and he says, send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. And so we find those that perish will spend eternity as this rich man is spending eternity. The saddest part about that story is that rich man is still perishing. He's still in flames. He's still in agony. He's still screaming in pain today. And that's going to be his his fate for all of eternity. And where there's no vision, people perish. These last several days, uh, Sunday, if you were here on Sunday, I preached a message. Anybody remember that message? Sunday morning? Acts chapter 7. Say it it louder. About Stephen, yeah. What What was the thought of that message, purpose of that message? Remember? Stephen was given a history lesson. Abraham, you're going to have to do all these things. And, and, and Joseph, you're going to have to go through these things. And, and it wasn't necessarily about their life. They were going to live for God, and generations after them were going to be blessed. Matter of fact, because Abraham obeyed God, and because, because Joseph obeyed God, and because Moses obeyed God, do you realize this? Um, we here are saved today because somebody was obedient The Gentiles received the gospel because somebody was obedient in taking the gospel. And so we talked Sunday morning about it's not about our life. It's it's about what God can do through us for generations to come. We might never see what God is doing in our life in our lifetime. The effects might be with our children or our grandchildren or generations to come, but, but God is doing something. And God desires to do something. 
If you study through the Bible, what you find is you find that God is after redeeming or reconciling mankind back to him. That's the purpose of what God desires. And he's using our life and our story to accomplish that. In where there is no vision, the people perish. Where the word of God doesn't get preached and presented and lived out, people perish. And that perish there is they perish without God. If we could truly recognize and understand what the Bible says about perishing, we, I believe this, as a church, as individuals, we would raise the level in our own lives for the need of giving vision. We would, we would see we've got to live. We've got to be a part of giving vision, giving the word of God, because people are perishing without it. These last several days, my grandfather, I've told you this, and, and you know, it seems like when something, when you have to kind of like look death in the eye and it's somebody that you love, it's difficult, isn't it? It's really hard. I've been through lots of funerals and I've cried with a lot of people even recently, but when it's somebody that you love, it's just, it just makes it that much harder. Several years ago, my, I knew my family. I've told you the story of my mom. My mom grew up in a home where they weren't saved. I've got her siblings. Um, I, I, I know one of them are saved, but I don't believe the rest of her siblings are saved. My grandmother got saved, and my, my um, uh, grandfather was not saved at the time. And, and so when they asked me to preach my grandmother's funeral five years ago, it was heavy on my heart. I knew the majority of the people sitting there at that funeral home, they were not saved. And I knew that. And when you're looking out in a room full of people and they're your relatives, they're your blood, and you know they don't know Christ as their Savior, it's moving, I'll tell you. It's, I preached my dad's funeral. It was the total opposite. I preached my dad's funeral, and, and his side of the family saved, and the majority of people in that church there were saved. It was a difficult thing to do. But to preach knowing if they reject this message, they're going to perish. I've visited to my, to my shame. I'm not proud of this at all. But to my shame, the last five days, I've seen my grandfather more in the last five days than I have in the last four years living this close to him. I've, I've made it a point to drive up. And we got to the hospital and my family was all in the, in the hospital room with my grandfather. We did this twice. And uh, Michelle and I walked in the room, and everybody got up and walked out. I'm thinking, what's wrong with us? Like, we're the plague or something, you know? But I knew that God was allowing Michelle and I to have some time with my grandfather. When I got there the first time, I bent down over his bed, and he was weak. And at first, he didn't even recognize who I was. And then I, I said, it's, it's your grandson. And he looked at me and said, oh, and I said, Pop, are you, you know, we, we talked about this before. I just remember Grandma's funeral. So remember calling my mom after the funeral and saying that you did that. You, you put your faith in Jesus. I said, do you remember doing that? And he said, I do. He said this, he said, Jeremy, I want to go home. I said, you want to go home, Pop? I said, they're not going to let you home right now. I think you got some issues with your heart. I said, you're not going to go home. He said, I don't mean back to Horton. He said, I'm ready to go home. I'm ready to go to heaven. I said, are you sure heaven is your home? He said, I'm sure. 
Boy, that took such a weight off of me. But then I'm looking out, everybody else, they're, they're not sure that heaven's their home. And he said to me, he said, I want to make sure you preach my funeral. Are you going to still do that for me? And I'm sure, Pop, of course I'm going to do that for you. But this thought, this, this verse and this, that knowing that it's going to come and knowing that we're going to sit in a room full of people that don't know Christ, it's heavy on my heart knowing this, that if people, if there's no vision, people perish. There's not a person here in this room that if you know Christ as your Savior, it doesn't move you or it should move you when you realize that there's people you love that don't know Christ. It's got to do something. Because where there is no vision, people perish. Where there is no vision, people die. And people go to a place of agony. I, I want you to just think about this this evening. Where, where there is no vision, people die and go to a place where the fire is not quenched. Where there's no vision, the people perish and they go to a place where the worm dieth not. They go to a place of utter darkness where there is no vision, where there is no enlightenment of the word of God, no gospel preached, no vision given. People die and there's no laughter. How many of you have ever had a bad day before? All right, I'm not going to ask you if you had a bad day today, but every so often, every once in a while, it's not, it's not often, it's two or three times a week, not often, I have what you call a bad day. One of the things I love about this time of year is when I have a bad day, I can get out of my office and I walk out into the parking lot. You know what one of the most wonderful things you can hear, any human being can hear? Children laughing. I love walking and hearing our kids laughing. And the kids at the school, the Monclova school just down the road here, they laugh so hard you can hear it in our parking lot as well. There's nothing better than hearing kids laughing. Unless you've got a baby and it's your great-grandchild and the parents, I guess, left them alone with you and they're all yours. Eh? But there's nothing more joyful. Could you imagine being in a place? How many of you like to laugh? There are people that they just have a contagious laugh. And when you get around them, you're just like, I have no idea what we're laughing about right now, but whatever it is, it's funny because the person has a contagious laugh. Could you imagine dying and perishing and never hearing laughter again? How sad would that be? You realize this without vision, people perish. There's no laughter. There's no fond words spoken. How many of you ever so often you like when somebody compliments you, says something kind to you, says something that encourages you? Do you understand when people die and they perish, they'll never hear a fond word spoken ever again? How horrible is that? There's no smiles. There's a, there's a girl that works at... Um, um, uh, Barnes and Nobles, and she works at the coffee shop there at Barnes and Nobles. And I, I just call her smiles. She smiles. And I asked her one day, I said, do you put like makeup on that like is glue and it just glues your smile up here? Because every time I see her, she has a smile. 
I, I was there today. I, I needed a little pick-me-up. And so I went in. I saw smiles today. And I said, you're doing it again. And she said, what? I said, you won't stop smiling. And when you have a bad day, isn't a smile contagious? She is. Could you imagine being in a place where there's no smiles? Could you imagine being in a place where there's no kindness? I mean, for all of eternity, hell is a place where there's no love. Where, where, there's no, where there's no vision, people perish, and they spend an eternity in a place where there is no love. You know what one of the most encouraging things to a human being is? A touch. Touch. There's nothing greater when you come home if you're, if, if, if you're married. If, if, I guess if you have to like the person you're married to, but if they come home and they, they touch you on the shoulder or, or your kids, isn't it wonderful when your kids come running into your arms? There's nothing more wonderful than love. Can you imagine being in a place, and hear me, please don't make it lose you. Could you imagine being in a place where there is no love for all of eternity? Could you imagine being in that place? How horrible this would be. But when there's no vision, the people perish, weeping forever, weeping that never ceases, gnashing of teeth that never ceases, forever separated from God, knowing that there's never going to be an opportunity for this to change. Have you ever been in a situation in your life here, it was a bad situation, but you knew this is going to get better? I like to use that little phrase to people, this too will pass. I say that to people in the, in the midst of their storm. <laughs> yeah, that's nice for you to say. But they know, you know, eventually it's going to pass. But eternity without Christ, it will never pass. Think about the worst agony, the worst hurt that you've ever felt in realizing that if that was every day for all of eternity, how awful that would be. And that's what hell is. Continually falling, never reaching bottom. And all because they had no vision. In church, we need people of vision. And I just want to share my heart with you this evening because we need people of vision. Why do we need people with vision? Because when there is no vision, people perish. We, we need to see the world. Would you write this down, please, and remind yourself of this? We need to see the world the way God sees the world. We, we need what's in God's heart needs to be in our heart. And anytime I see what God wants me to see, I'm always better off. Anytime I see what God wants me to see, I'm always better off. As a, as a husband, I can, have, I can have ambition or I can have vision. Do you realize this? You could live a life of ambition. You could live a life. You can have a wonderful job. You can have all the luxuries of life. You can raise a good family. You can have a wonderful marriage. You, you can have money in the bank. And, 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 and none of those things are wrong in themselves. You can have what the world would look at and say a very successful life and not have vision and the people all around you perish. As a pastor, when I seek what God desires instead of what I want for the church, you know what? The church is always better off. 
And there's always a struggle. There's always going to be a struggle between vision and ambition. And Please hear me tonight, please. Whatever relationship you're in, whatever place you're in in life, there's always going to be a struggle for you as a Christian, vision versus ambition. And most people living the Christian life aren't living a life of vision. Many of us are living a life of ambition. I'm going to explain the difference. Ambition would be this. They set goals for themselves. They, what they want to accomplish in life. And, and I'm not saying that they're bad goals. I'm not saying that the goal in itself is wrong. I'm not saying that we're living this sin-filled life. There are many Christians that are living good moral lives, but they're lives of ambition, not lives of vision. And there's a world of difference. The person of ambition will live their life and many will perish because that person was not a person of vision. That person of ambition could live their life and no one around them ever hear the gospel. Now they see a guy that, and a girl that never is late for work, that pays their bills, that lives good moral lives, but they never live out the gospel. They never tell of the gospel. They don't live a life of vision. And when there is no vision, people perish. So I want you to write this down. We're going to get into the, the meat of this, okay? Are you with me? Everybody awake? Everybody cold? Who's cold? Who's warm? Who's just right? Just rights have it. Every time, the just rights have it. It's awesome. One side of your paper, it says the man of vision. On the other side, it's versus the man of ambition. I want you to write these down. On the, right, on the, on the side of the man of vision, I want you to write this. A man of vision is this, a man of the Bible. It's a man of the Bible. And forgive me if I say man, it's for ladies as well. It's a, it's a person. Let's be gender neutral here. It's a person of the Bible. A man of the Bible. The man of ambition, though, right on this side, is a pragmatist. P-R-A-G-M-A-T-I-S-T. You say, what does that mean? A naturalism, naturalist. Religion of the world. A man of the Bible believes the Bible, believes the God of the Bible, believes there's a creator of the universe that believes this, that God is, is, is desiring to be involved in your life, believing this, that once you're a child of God, God has a plan for your life. A man of the Bible is a man of vision because he realizes this, that God has a plan for your life. Every single person here in this room, God has something specific he has for your life. We don't just aimlessly go through life. Where you're at, where you live, who you marry, your children, all of those things is God has a plan for your life. But a naturalist, somebody that is just, just religion of the world, you know what they believe? There's nothing supernatural. There's no miracles. There's no divine intervention. There are some that believe this. All right, there was a creator. You look around, obviously something created. But what he did was once he created, he turned his head and now mankind is just doing his own thing. There's people that believe that. All right, if there's a creator, that's fine, but the creator is not inter involved. He's not, there's no divine intervention in the human affairs. But you know what the man of the Bible understands? That God is intricately involved in the affairs of the human life. 
He's intricately involved in history. He has a plan. If you read through the entire Bible, you see prophecy being fulfilled. God is a, his plan is to redeem mankind, to reconcile the, the lost sinful man back to him. For what reason? So that he can have mankind for all of eternity. The opposite of everlasting life is perish. Those, the man of ambition is one that, that um, the, the survival of the fittest, whoever the strong survive. You ever, you ever heard that before? Only the strong survive. That, that's not a man of vision, that's a man of ambition. Evolution, we get that evolution from this, this man of ambition. I want you to write this down. Not only is the man of vision, man of the Bible, he's also, his plan begins with God. We're made in the image of God. He believes that. A man of the Bible believes that all things begins with God. A man of vision believes the Bible that all things begin with God. We are made in the image of God. A man um, uh, of ambition, the opposite, believes this. Everything begins with man. Man's goal, uh, our desire, um, one that begins with God, a man of the Bible, a man of vision, you know, our goal is to be, to be Christ-like. We, we understand here in this flesh that we're never going to be perfect, but we're striving to be like Christ. A, a, the opposite would be a man, uh, everything begins with man. He, he's trying to improve man. You know what? They, they admire strength and beauty and intellect. And if you're not strong and you're not beautiful and you're not smart, you're, you're really on the bottom of the food chain. I, I, was, I was picking up a couple magazines today and um, uh, some, th- some things I'm doing some studying on, and the history section was right there, and I was picking the magazines right next to the history section was the health section. And I noticed this. On the health magazines, there's a whole, whole slew of them there next to the history section there at bon- Barnes & Noble. Not one person on the front of those magazines looked like me. Not one. Not one of them. I mean, I even I, there's got to be somebody. No, because they're looking, the world is looking for strength, beauty, intellect. That's what you have to achieve. Make man the best you can make it. I, I read there's a, a, a country over in, in, in Europe, and they have, have said that they have cured Down syndrome in their country. Have you heard about this? Yeah, it's true. I'm, I'm, true story. They've cured it. How they've cured it is this. If a woman is, is, uh, becomes pregnant with a Down syndrome baby, they abort the baby. And so there is no more Down syndrome. They've cured Down syndrome in their country. You, why? Because they're not seeing man in the image of God. Not, it doesn't begin with God. It begins with man. Sick. There's no use to somebody that doesn't uh, is not of strength or beauty or intellect. This is what in World War II, when you read of Hitler, this is what Hitler wanted to do. He wanted to create an entire race that was a perfect race. What he thought: get rid of all the Jews, get rid of all 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 the imperfect people in his mind, and and we will have a race of perfect people. This is a man of ambition, but he was not a man of true vision. And you think about the man of ambition all around him, people perish. But a man of vision gives truth, gives the word of God, and gives others an opportunity for everlasting life, eternal life. 
The difference between a man where it begins with God and it begins with man, right? Every, every improvement. So you say, well, should we not improve by ourselves? Should we not get healthy? And, and I believe that we should. Every improvement that we make, though, should be that we have a greater vision. Any improvement a Christian makes in their life should be the improvement, so what? That God has brought glory and honor. So that vision is able to be given out. Our church ought to be moving forward in the area of vision. For what reason? So all of the Toledo area hears the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because a church can be visionless. It can have a lot of ambition, but it can be visionless. And while its ambition is great, people all around are perishing. A Christian can have great ambition and do good things, or even what we might even consider great things, and people all around them perish. The difference between vision and ambition. The man of vision, write this down, the man of vision on that line. The man of vision lives by faith. There should always be something that you are doing in your Christian life that is requiring faith. God never intended for us as Christians to live by sight. The opposite of that would be this. A man of ambition, man of uh, vision lives by faith. A man of ambition lives by sight. I've got to see it to believe it. You've got to prove it to me or I'm not going to be involved in it. It's got to be black and white. Listen, there are some things that God is going to allow and require of us to do, and it's going to require faith. Sunday morning, we looked in uh, um, uh, Acts chapter number 7, and God was going to do a great work through Abraham. He said through Abraham, I'm going to make of thee a great and mighty nation. But yes, guess what you're going to have to do? you are going to have to live by faith. You've got to leave where you're at. You've got to go to a place that's unknown. You've got to take your son and you've got to place your son on an altar. You've got to believe me that I'm going to give you a son when your wife is barren. You've got to live by faith. You, you, you look at the same story with, with, with Joseph. He's got to live by faith. I'm being sold into slavery, but, I'm, but God is with me. I'm not going to give up on God. I'm being placed in prison for something I didn't do, but God is with me. I'm going to live for God. Not one time did you see where Joseph began to live his own life of ambition. He lived a life of faith. And what did God do? Everyone around him was saved. Moses, the same thing. You see, God is not interested in you living a life of ambition where you have to see it before you believe it. He is interested in a man living with vision, and that man lives by faith. Write this down. The man of vision will say this. If it's right, God will bless it. The man of ambition says this. If it works, it must be right. Not everything that works is right. But everything that is right, God will bless. A man of vision says this, I'm going to simply do right, whether it's, it's easy or not. And, and, and listen, sometimes we can do wrong things and, and, and it works out, but it doesn't make it ever right. That's ambition. Write this down, the man of vision, the man of vision is obedient to God. It's all we live for. A man of vision is obedient to God. He's obedient to God's word. He's not trying to wrestle with God's word, trying to figure out, do I want to do this or not? No, a man of vision says this. If God's word says it, I'm going to follow it. But a man of ambition is always in competition with other people. 
pa- pastors are really good for this. You know, you know what happens? You get to pastor's fellowships and you get talking. You know what one of the first questions people ask you? So how many are you running? How long is your church? Competition. What does it matter? You know, we like to tell people how large our church is, too. Hey, do you know how many I had last week? How many did you have? That's, that's ambition. You say, well, is it wrong to want people to come to your church? No. What's wrong is if that's what's driving you. Competition. In reality, it's, it's something all of us battle with. We all battle with it. But a man of vision says, I'll be obedient to God. I might not have what somebody else has. I might not, not get what somebody else gets, but I'm going to be obedient to God. By being obedient, it might not get me what my goals, what I want in life, but I'm going to be obedient to God. What God wants is what matters. But somebody that's always in competition with others, you know what's going to happen? You might get what somebody else has, but it's not going to be enough. And hear me tonight, when there is no vision, the people perish. Write this down. The man of vision desires God to be glorified. What does Paul say about that? I die daily. If you are a man of vision, you desire God to be glorified, and you know what you do? You walk around like a dead person. When's the last time a dead person got offended. Have you ever been, and I'm not trying to be funny, but have you ever been to a funeral where the dead person got up and said, wait a minute, you just offended me. Why not? Because they're dead. When's the last time a dead person had to defend themselves? See, these are all things we have to do. When we're people of ambition, we've got to live this way. But a a person of vision says, you know what? My life, I'm going to live desiring to be God to be glorified. I'm dead to myself. Listen, the, the man of ambition lives a life, can't live without the approval of man. You see, the man of vision desires God to be glorified. The man of ambition can't live without the approval of man. I sat with a fellow one time, several years ago, was pastoring a church in Georgia. And this man had had an affair on his wife four different times. And she came to me and said, I'm done. And I said, let me talk to him. This man came into my office and I said to him, what is wrong with you? And this is what he said. My wife never tells me anything good. She never, I I, I never get any affirmation from her. I said, so you sin? You can't live, you can't live trying to get the approval of man. Hear me, you, listen, if you live your life simply pleasing God, you won't live your life then from approval to approval to approval. It's sin. That would be like me if I get up and I say, you know what, I'm not, not going to preach next week because not enough people told me they appreciated the message this past week. You know what you would say to me? See ya. Bye. We'll get somebody here that doesn't need, like, affirmation all the time. You, you, 
don't we live in a society where we're like affirmation junkies anymore? Like, I need to know that people love me. I need to know that I'm needed, I'm loved. Guess where you find that? In Christ. That's where it starts. A man of vision finds that in Christ and says, my life is lived to bring glory and honor to God. And in doing that, God is pleased with my life. A man of ambition is going to always run trying to find affirmation. You know what you're going to find? People are always going to let you down. You know what I've learned? If my wife is getting a haircut, getting her hair done, getting it dyed, I make my daughters tell me. Because if I go home, and I'm there for any length of time, like 30 seconds, and she walks by me, and stops and walks back, looks, and I'm just like, what is wrong with her neck, you know? She's got a little kink in her neck or something? I got a haircut and you didn't notice. I put some coloring in here and, and you didn't notice. I changed. How about a new outfit? I wore that thing all day and you didn't even say a thing about it. I thought it. You know, you, I, thought, I thought how wonderful you looked at it. We, we need that affirmation. But listen to me, there are so many times, if we're not careful, we will quit if that affirmation doesn't come. And guess what? Listen, listen please. Human beings are going to fail you. But God never will. I will fail. Nine times out of ten, I made the mistake one time. I, I had a, my wife gave me a picture when we first met. And... Um, I said, I, I loved your hair like this, you know, when it was this color, you know, whatever number that was, you know, and I was joking around and I found out you can't say that. Men, don't say that. Never call your wife's color a number. It's bad. Listen, what I'm simply saying is this, you're, even the people closest to you, they're going to let you down. They're not going to always give you what you need but God will never fail you. Seek his approval. A man of vision desires to be God, to glorify God. Mark this down, if you would please. A man of vision serves God. A man of ambition serves himself. What's the difference? When the going gets tough, the one that's serving God stays with it. The one that's serving himself leaves. When somebody doesn't look at us right or compliment us just right, when I'm serving myself, it's a man of ambition. A man of vision, write this down. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse uh, uh, 12. Let me just go there real quick. You write that down in your notes here. 2 Corinthians 1, 12. Everybody with me still? Okay. 2 Corinthians 1, 12 says this. For our rejoicing is this, the testimony of our conscience, that in simplicity and godly sincerity, not with fleshly wisdom, but by the grace of God, we have had our conversation in the world and more abundantly to you, word. Write this down. A man of vision lives a, a life of simplicity and godly sincerity. A man of vision lives a life of simplicity and godly sincerity. 
the man of ambition lives a life of complexity. And hear me, please. When a person chooses to live a life of complexity, it always leads to a life of frustration. One of the best books I've ever read on, read on church is called Simple Church. You know what we've tried to do? We complicate things. We add things to our life thinking it's going to fill something, thinking it's going to help something. Do you, do you, ever, do you ever, parents, do you ever get to the place where you just say, I can't run ragged like this anymore? I can't take it anymore. Like, I don't even know where I'm supposed to be right now. All I know is I'm not where I'm supposed to be because there's nobody here. I went to the wrong place. It's unhealthy. Here, please, 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 please hear me. It's unhealthy in a Christian marriage when you kiss each other on the way out the door in the morning and you see each other when you're tired climbing into bed at night. It's an unhealthy marriage. It will not last. It's too complex. It will lead to frustration. A person that seeks a life of complexity, it leads to frustration in communication. It leads to frustration because my ambition is what's driving me. I've got to keep working harder and keep working harder and keep working harder. And we've pride ourselves on being a workaholic. But, but what Paul is, is saying here, a man of vision lives a simple, godly, sincere life. You know what we ought to strive for? Simplicity. The truth is this, many of us could take a lot of all what our life we're doing right now and stop doing a lot of what we're doing and live a life of vision. Because we're so busy with ambition. We're so busy trying to, to, to reach a goal that we have set. We're so busy to reaching a life that we're trying to achieve something and all around us people are perishing. And hear me on this, please. If you're a Christian, both men are living inside of you right now. The man of vision and the man of ambition. It's called the new man and the old nature. It's called the spirit of God that wants to lead you and guide you and direct you so you become a man of vision. The spirit of God will always lead you to be a man of vision because the spirit of God is what's going to lead you so that the gospel of Jesus Christ gets around this world. When you are yielded to the spirit of God, you will be a man of vision and people around you will hear the gospel. When you're a man of ambition and both of us live inside of us, we quench the spirit of God. We live all of these things that we just, just talked about and everyone around us perishes. Some almost 8, mil, 8 billion people alive right now, in our generation right now are alive and they say over half of them have never heard Jesus Christ. Have never heard. Frankie, son, Last, last week, he said, I want to take you out to um, dinner. He said, you've done so much for my family. I want to take you out to an authentic Chinese restaurant. I'm like, oh, Chinese buffet. <laughs> and he looked at me. Yes, he, gave, he took me to one. You cook it yourself. And I mean, it's like all this... They, they bring out, and, 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 and I sat me at this place, and, and, he, and he sat me down, and, and he said, here's your chopsticks. And I'm like, no, we're going to have to do a fork, buddy. And so he did. He brought me. He said, this is authentic. Brought me to this place. It was 
wonderful time with him. We spent some time together and we started talking about some of these some of these things, the new man, the old man, just talking. And he said this to me. He said, I lived in China till I was 16 years old. He didn't, didn't come over to the States till he was 16. And he said this, I never heard the name Jesus for the first 16 years of my life. Never knew that God sent his son named Jesus Christ to come to this earth and die. He said, he told me he lived in a little village there in China, never heard the name Jesus. I looked at him like, come on now. What's in your tofu? You know, what, what do you mean? You never heard, never heard. Never heard the name of Jesus. He came to the United States and that's where he heard the name Jesus and he heard the gospel and he heard about the deity of Christ and the virgin birth and that Jesus, you know why? Because he got around someone with vision. When you get around somebody with vision, you have a great opportunity of hearing truth, accepting eternal life. Where there is no vision, where there is no Christ in you, when there is no seeing things the way he wants things done, when there is no living for God and glorifying him with our lives, people around us perish. And it saddens me. It saddens me, church. There's the same man that wrote this book, Tom Rainer. I've had many conversations with him, met him just beginning of this year, talked with him quite a bit about some things, about church revitalization and some things. Wonderful, wonderful author, knows what he's talking about. He gave this statistic just recently. I think I gave it Sunday. 10% of churches in America are going to close every single year. 80% of churches are going to struggle. And they're visionless. And without vision, people perish. Let's pray. Father, help us. 